0: feel real good, alright? Most dope. Everybody please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey.
1: Hey everybody, how you doing? Well that's good! Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio, that's right, BSH Radio, my name is Bill Matz, I'm your director of Funny Games for the evening. Fam, I'm gonna level with you. I got nothing. I got nothing on this team. I, 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 you know, we're coming up on, I, I was looking at it the other, well last week when Kelly published the episode and I saw it was, uh, BSH Radio number 369, which is funny in itself. But... I remember we started our first episode of me and Charlie and Kelly and Steph was episode number seventy-nine of BSH Radio. So we're we're coming up on episode three hundred, and that doesn't include you know all the checking out the competitions, the post games, flyperboles, ice sport was uh, like on the feed for a while, all the shit that we did, you know the uh, all the what was pandemic episodes. 300 episodes of just the flagship show. This team has gone nowhere in that time. Like, we're going to talk about shit I bet you we talked about on episode 79. Uh, I just read, and we'll we'll get to the intros, I guess, now, before I just (laughs) fall into this pit of despair. Uh, Recording from an undisclosed location, the fly-by-herself Kelly Hinkle.
2: I gotta tell you, I am, um, like, energized because I just got back from Canada. And yeah, how like, was that?
1: It looked, like, fun.
2: It was great. I'd never yeah. been to Ottawa, and it was lovely. Very nice.
1: City. Oh, enemy territory. It.
2: Yeah, and I went into the enemy building, and it was nice. It looked like a very good hockey building, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, the, all of the seats looked very good. It had that, like, very steep second and third level, so, like, everything feels very close to the ice. I love that. Cool. Um... What concert yeah, so, did you see? Pearl Jam. Ah, okay. Yeah, your favorite band. Yeah. So I am, like, uh, energized both from the first Pearl Jam tour in, like, six years and also uh, going and tagging, tagging home base <laughs> in Canada, <laughs> which, like, energizes me. So despite my NPR voice, I'm going to have an energized show, I think.
1: Excellent. Uh, how's Claude? Is, it, is he doing well?
2: I looked for him. I didn't see he, him.
1: He wasn't there. I, I guess you would have had to go to, like, a country concert or something.
2: Oh, I like it, like, some kind of, like, Swedish house music <laughs> or whatever the fuck he listens to, whatever garbage music he listens to.
1: And from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same spot that Bill is, where you're just kind of like, what is there even really to talk about? We got the, you know, the season's coming. Then there'll be things to talk about, but the, the thing I keep coming back to, and, and this is why it's very difficult to not cover this team because it's not that hard to cover a, a hockey team, but yeah. it's just hard they to the it's just hard to sort of know what even people should be rooting for because the more I think about this, like what is the flyers' plan internally and their plan internally is what what they want to see happen is they want John Tortorella, to change the culture, they want this team to be tougher to play against. They want this team to, you know, be tighter on the ice, to have, have more structure, to play better defensively, to support each other better. That's what they want, and they believe that John Tortorella is the guy that can do it. That's why, you know, they're they're adding these character signings, like, you know, Ristolainen because he hits and balances out the defense, and DeLaurier because he fights, and he's going to stick up for the young guys, and... All this stuff, it's all about, like, we're going to change the culture and we're going to make this team a more competitive, tougher team to play against. And you know what? I may not agree with all the ways they're trying to do that, but I do concur that this team does need to be tougher to play against. This team does need to play with more structure. This team does need to play and support each other more on the ice and stop blowing coverages and stuff. Totally agree. That is a priority. However, what I keep coming back to is that even if everything— works out the way they want it to in that regard you know John Tortorella does a good job coaching this team and this team is tougher to play against and they they are more competitive and even when they lose they don't lose in embarrassing ways even if all that comes to fruition like this team still isn't good enough to actually win it like maybe they slip into the playoffs but they still have no path to getting the kind of high-end players that will allow them to actually win titles so, like, I know what they want to happen, but what they want to happen just will make it even tougher for them to get what actually needs to happen for them to actually have a chance to win a championship. Which is why I'm having this, like, back and forth in my head where, at least in the past, what they wanted to happen and what needed to happen for this team to be real good, at least they lined up. Now, the problem is is that I don't think they line up what they want to happen again it goes back to that that joke i made about south park where it's like get tougher to play against question mark question mark question mark win championship <laughs> like they 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 think this is the first step but they have not yet outlined how the second step of you know getting players that actually scare other teams like they haven't there we have no idea how that's going to happen and the only way for that to happen if they don't have a plan to get those guys is be real bad but they don't want to be real bad so That's... we're left either rooting for them to somehow stumble into star players the way they stumbled into Claude Giroux or their entire plan be a failure and them stumble into good players by being unintentionally bad.
1: Like stumble into is the perfect, you know, Bobby Clark went to the podium not knowing Claude Giroux's name. And he ended up being, like, the best player of the last 30 years for the team. Uh-huh. Like, what are the chances? You know, what the fuck are the chances that that happens again? That he just luck into a dude. I, I just... The path towards anything it, it, I don't even know what I want to see happen this year. I guess I want to see them suck because that's the only way. But, I like, last year they said there's two ways to go and get high-end players. You sign them in free agency, which they have no money. They've proven they don't feel like doing the things they have to do to open up the money to get those guys. Or suck. They said in that press conference, well, you know, the other way is, you know, you get at the top of the draft and get a, get a few shots at those high-end players there. They have no intention of doing that. How does this team, again, getting back to, I I just, it was October 2016 when we started this podcast together. It was the, it was the beginning, I know, right? It was the, it was the kickoff to the 50th anniversary season. It was Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov's rookie year. This is going to be the seventh year in the league for those guys. Nothing has changed. They're the exact same team minus the best player. I, I, I'm baffled at how, you know, how they think this is acceptable. How they think this is how a team should be run. Like, we, I've made a joke several times that Chuck Fletcher is now doing the Ron Hextall plan that he, like, had to change, like, Ron Hextall got fired and he was here to have a bias for action and get things moving, get the f- finish off the rebuild, get us going in a, a new direction. Nope, we're going to do that thing all over again. We're not going to bottom out. We're just going to kind of, you know, retool re- on the fly. See how that goes. After we're seeing how it went. Fucking poorly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, so I it just, didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. So this is interesting because earlier today I asked for um, topics on Twitter again because none of us wants to do our job and there's nothing to talk about. Um... And someone, Frank Zafiro, um, his question was something like, listen, everything's been negative forever, and that makes sense. But what if you flip the script and were positive or something? But, like, is it even – like Charlie said, you don't know what to root for. Is it even <laughs> being negative to root for the team to be bad at this point? Like, I don't know if that's a negative thing to be doing at this point. But then is it negative to want them to win? Like, it's, it's, very, it's a very fucked situation. Yeah. Because yeah. yes. nothing makes any sense. Well, because
0: it, it may be the best thing for this organization to be real bad this year. But that doesn't make it fun to watch them be real bad. Like, it's still going to be miserable to watch them be awful <laughs> for 82 games. Even, that's the, even if that's the best thing for the long term, in the short term, it's going to suck. Because watching a competitive hockey team is much more fun than watching one that is just a joke.
1: I was saying to Charlie before you came in, uh, Kelly, like, you know, this isn't a a once-a-week 16, 17-game schedule. It's 82 games. It's every fucking night for months. When a Philadelphia Flyer takes a shot, I want it to go in the net. When their opponent shoots, I want Carter Hart to stop it. It's really hard to root against them when you have to watch them every night, but it's like, how? How do they ever get any better? They've been the exact same thing, minus a stretch from January to mid-March of 2020, which, you know, it wasn't even March, because the season shut down in fucking March 11th. Like... (laughs) It was a month it was a month and ten days. Two months and ten days where we saw them actually play like a good team for a little bit of time. Yeah, there was the Gossus Bear run oh where he was just scoring overtime winners every night. Like that was great. They've had a few stretches, but for the most part, they have been just aggressively mediocre for seven years now. It's
2: that it's almost impossible probably, to probably
1: <laughs> the happiest I've ever been in my life.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it was kind of like now in like hindsight where we are right now, it was kind of like really bad that that happened because it clearly wasn't real. At this point, I think we can say it clearly wasn't real, but it seems to have tricked the people running this organization into thinking that yeah. this core of players can actually be good because they did it once before.
1: No, and it's I, I, what I wanted to get into, like a real topic today, was uh, Travis Konechny. Like I mentioned, when we started this podcast in the, in the fall of 2016, it was going into his rookie season. And now here we are. He's entering year seven. And I was just, you know, cruising the internet, looking for some topics. And I find uh, he did a little Q&A on the Flyers' website. And I'm just sitting there like, man, I'm sick of this group of players. I just want a different group of guys. <laughs> but, like, uh, thinking about that stretch and that season, 2019-20, pre-pandemic, you know, 66 games uh, Travis Konechny played, 24 goals, which was his career high. He scored that the previous two years, but in 81 and 82 games, and 61 points. Almost a point-a-game player. And it's like, yeah, that stretch does management still think that's who he is? Like, he's got, like 88 but think, points since then? I think there is,
0: there is definitely, I think this is the case for Ivan Provorov, too. With Konechny and Provorov, there is, I think, a legitimate fear on the part of Chuck Fletcher in the front office that if they trade one or both of them, that, In who they trade them to, they're going to—that player will then immediately bounce back and be the player that the Flyers at one time hoped that both of them were going to become, and then they're going to look real dumb. I think that—that, I think, is a big part of why both these players are still here, is that it's this fear that we—they think both those guys can be figured out, and they're afraid that if they give up on that someone else is going to figure them out, and
1: then they're going to look real dumb for trading I mean, he's going to be 26 in March. Uh, happy 311 day, Travis Konechny. Um, I, I just... Isn't this... When, like This isn't the NHL of 10, 15, 20 years ago. This is his prime right now. Uh, the, yeah. the idea that you haven't figured out Travis Konechny at 25 entering year 7 is fucking insane. Like, the guy has scored, like, at the exact same pace three of his six years. He's had in 82 points, 47, or 82, 81 games, 47 points, 82 games, 49 points, 79 games, 52 points, that's half of his career, he's done the exact same thing, and last year, sure, there's more goal scoring there, I think he had some sort of hand or wrist injury or something, he just couldn't shoot, or maybe, like, he's going back to the Travis Konecki that fucking fires muffins on net. I don't know, uh, but, <laughs> like, but just, this is who he is, he is a good second line player. If you have a good team, Travis Konechny could be on it. You know what he doesn't make you? Any fucking better than you already are. He can absolutely put up 50 points for you on a good second line. He doesn't make anyone better. He, like, power play points, he's got fucking 20 career power play points. Or that's goals, excuse me. Uh, 20 career power play goals. And another 39 points, uh, he's, he's 39 a second, assists.
0: He's a secondary He's just a second-line play. player. He's, he's yeah. not a yes. driver. He's not, he's not someone yeah. who's going to step up and be like, this is my freaking power play. That's not Travis Konechny. He could be on a first unit if he's with guys who are that type, but he's not the guy. And yeah, I mean, he's a good second-liner. He's probably a great third-liner, but he's a good second-liner. Travis Konechny's a good player. I like Travis Konechny. Yeah, he's it's good. I that, like him. Like, it's just that if you're waiting for him to... I, I'm, I don't go so as far as you, Bill, in that like, I don't think that that January through March thing was a total mirage. I just think the whole thing fell apart for a lot of other reasons. But I do believe that the Travis Konechny from that season, like, that was his career year, I think. Yeah, I do not think yeah. he's ever
1: going to have that kind of year again. Like He's 22 uh, that season, and he shot 17%. He's a career 11.5% guy. What's it's more a, likely? It's like, he figures it out?
0: <laughs> it's a bummer because, like, if you have that good of a year at age 22, you're thinking, yeah, you know, this guy could be really, really good, and then he just regressed. And I, I guess one of the reasons, and I'm, my guess is this is something that has probably been pitched internally with the Flyers, and it's one of the reasons why. Again, and I know fans are going to get all angry about this. You guys are probably going to get all angry about this, but I do believe it's the the idea has been brought up about somebody like Me that. Outside circumstances have contributed to the fact that he has not developed as they want. In that the year, the, the seasons have been strange because of the pandemic. In that the coaching situation has been weird. You know, last oh, season no. was a disaster, and I think that that concept of like we can still get more out of Connect me because these last couple seasons have been uniquely strange. I think that has been thrown around a lot in, internally.
2: So, like, I do wonder if in a better organization, 22-year-old Travis Konechny having that year does, in fact, get better after that. The problem is um, it's still the same disaster of an organization that it was four years ago. So why would you think that now he's going to get better? Like, it's just – if the Flyers are ruining – the players, because it's a disaster, be it coaching, front office, locker room fighting with each other, whatever the fuck it is, it's a disaster. That's all still the same. Yeah.
0: Well that was that was one of the points I made last summer. Um and and I think Kurt echoed it in a column of his as well. Um, I'm honestly not sure who came up with the idea first, but the point I made was that last summer the Flyers were seemingly making a lot of moves. Where they were bringing in guys, and the theory behind bringing them in was that, well, they were with a they were with a dumpster fire team; they'll be better in a new environment. And yes. the point I made is that what makes you so sure that this is a good environment? Like, yeah, the, what think, winning culture are like, you referring to? Like the idea that, like, well, if we just get Rissaline out of Buffalo, he'll be good because Buffalo is a disaster. Like, why are you sure that this is great? Like, yeah, like, it's, why it's do you not. think that? Like, yeah, like, like it'd be one thing if like you got wrist-aligned and put him with like the lightning. Then you'd be, maybe, oh, yeah. but like one of the flyers one of the... are not the lightning, and they were making one moves of last yeah. summer as if they thought that they were like, well, we'll get him into our organization, and because our organization is so great, we'll
1: turn these guys around. Like, is your organization really that great? Is it? one of the things one of the things that made Buffalo a disaster. Is the misevaluation of players like Rasmus Ristolainen? Yeah, like it's yep. it's thinking he's good that makes you bad. Yep. Uh, it's it just absolutely. Uh, I do. I'm not going to totally dismiss the idea that perhaps there is more. Like, not that they're going to get more out of him. Not that he's suddenly going to become a perennial all star. But in an alternate universe, there could have they could have gotten more out of Travis Konechny. It's just like it's it's year 7 man it's yeah, we're, not wait and see t- yeah, yeah it's it's not wait and see time with Travis Konechny anymore it's he's it's year 7 he is who the fuck he is are you shocked he's here i know you, we've said like oh maybe they're just operating under that fear of they don't want it to be justin williams you know patrick sharp they just operating they hate that apparently those twitter complaints so much uh, you know, why don't you listen to me when I go on about that shit? I, you listen when I talk for two years about how you need to get fucking Johnny Goudreau at all costs. No, that's a bridge too far. It's never <laughs> moving on from a mediocre player that we can't do. Uh, regardless, are you shocked he's still? Are you shocked he's still here?
2: A little bit. I'm not. I only. Well. In the sense that, like, if they were going to over this, like, right this second, no. If they were this summer going to actually improve the team, he is one of those guys that you probably would have to include in a trade for a good player. But they decided they didn't need to improve the team. So, in that sense, not really surprised that he's still here. I just,
1: if you're gonna, we tried a culture change last year. It did not work. In fact, clearly, it was a, it was a disaster. <laughs> the culture you changed to was somehow even fucking worse. Uh now you bring in John Tortorella and I know he's a good coach, he's going to the Hall of Fame. All the all the superlatives we can throw at John Tortorella, sure. Is he some development master? Like who are the group of players that reach this other level under like he just kind of gets underachievers to get to their level. Uh, And like as a team, I can't think of the guys who, oh yeah. And then he became a point of game player. Like who, who are these? I just don't see how this plan has any chance of success. I, none. That's, that's a really
0: uh, optimistic (laughs) viewpoint (laughs) though.
1: Just, what even is success? What does success look like? Almost yeah, that, making that, the playoffs?
0: That's the point I made at the start of this show. That what is success. The the thing with Konechny, and the reason why I'm not surprised that he's still here. Because again, you have to look at this in the in the like through the lens that the Flyers are looking at this. And one point that
1: we've made on this I show drop some LSD and hit myself quite, with a hammer.
0: But one point that we've made on the show quite a few times, and I think it's a salient point about Connectney is that Travis Connectney would is would be a useful player, a very useful player on a good hockey team. The Flyers <laughs> think that they are building a good hockey team, and their thing is like, why would we trade Travis Konechny? Because when we're good, we're gonna need a Travis Konechny. So why do we trade yeah. Travis Konechny just so then in three years need another Travis Konechny again? Like, but I'm, I'm saying like this is how they're thinking, and that do I, think I know? That, do it's I just think that if a trade. Like, like stumbled. They've stumbled upon a trade where they could trade Konechny for a better player. That they would do it. Yeah, they would. I don't think Travis Konechny is off the table by any means. But they look at it as when we're good, we're going to need Travis Konechny. So why trade Travis Konechny? Just to trade Travis Konechny. Which, in a vacuum, I understand. The problem is, is that like again, it goes back to the overarching point, which is what's your pathway to getting to the point where you can actually use Travis Konechny the way he should be used.
2: Right, because it gets back to the core of the entire problem in that they don't appear to know how to evaluate talent in 2022 in the sense that, like, what makes a winning hockey team? Like, they think the team's good. That's why we need Travis Konechny. But the team's real bad. So, like, how do we solve that problem? And, that, and that's where you get back to the Johnny Goucher thing. Like,
0: right. I... I get it to a point. I do. And, and I, I've made the point that, like, does Johnny Gaudreau actually fit with this timeline? And I, the Flyers kind of use that argument as well, with Tortorella making that point and Fletcher in a roundabout sort of way making that point. But again, you've acknowledged what this team needs is high in talent. Your plan, okay, your plan is to not be bad, is to be at least decent because that's what you want to do. You want to be decent which means you're not going to be drafting at the top of the draft, so you're not going to get the high-end talent there. So that's out. Because you're not drafting at the top end of the draft, you're not going to get the kind of players that necessarily you're going to be able to trade for high-end talent, like young prospect blue-chip pieces. Plus, you're in a bad cap situation, so do you even have the cap space to trade for those guys? And then you have Johnny Goudreau, a legitimate star who wants to come, wants to come to the city and you say, no, we're not willing to do what we need to do to get him. And then Tortorella, I thought was very interesting. He basically said something when he interviewed with Jordan Hall and then just like ripped everyone for, you know, basically it was very much one of those, like us against the world. Like no one believes in us kind of thing. I get it. I I don't begrudge Tortorella that motivation. tactic; It's a tried and true one, but Tortorella says something to the extent of like, maybe we're not ready to sign a Johnny Goudreau yet. You know, we're not at that point yet. And that's fair. However, I got news for you. The next time a star player of his caliber hits the market, there's a very, very minuscule chance that star player is going to want to sign in Philadelphia. This guy actually did. I don't know the next time that the next Johnny Goudreau caliber free agent is going to even have a modicum of interest in signing with the Flyers. So maybe this was your only shot to do it in free agency because you're not going to do it in the draft unless you luck into Claude Giroux version 2.0, and your cap situation is still bad, so I don't know how you work out a trade. So where are you getting these guys? This might It wasn't perfect. The Giroux situation was not perfect. It was maybe a year or two early. Yes, he's an older player. You don't know how he's going to age. I get that. But maybe this was your only chance. And you just were like, nah, we're going to wait two years and we're going to hope that like the next superstar happens to like have a distant aunt who grew up in Philadelphia (laughs) and wants to live there.
2: Somebody who really likes good pizza.
1: (laughs) I would just love I would love for that. Okay, Johnny doesn't fit the timeline. Lay out the timeline for me. Like go ahead explain it. Like I, I I I'm all fucking ears here. Because we have Hayes under contract, we extended Couturier, if not now, since you're not tanking, what the fuck is the timeline? Oh yeah, well we're like so the ch- the, the the point is not to be really good. Like that so what's the point what exactly is the goal of this season? Like I keep saying, the only reason the Flyers exist this year is to fill out every other fucking team's schedule. There is absolutely no point for them to even be taking the ice this season. And I would really just getting back to something Charlie said a few minutes ago about, um, tr- uh, about Travis Konecny. Uh, you know, well, why why would we trade Travis Konecki when in three years when we're good? It's hilarious because now they probably don't think actually like oh, it's going to be three years, but whatever. It will be at least. Um, his contract is, of course, up in three years. <laughs> he'll be funny. an unrestricted free agent, which is hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, that'll they'll be hoping to extend him probably and then he'll not sign and walk. But they were thinking they could contend, so they'll keep him. Uh, I'm just so. uh, Is there a chance we're all crazy? And because like every year we go in with like some modicum of optimism, only to like be crushed like bugs. Yeah, this um, year
0: it's just non-existent under the weight of reality. The The only way that this works, like, not works the way they seem to think, like, to want it to work, but like actually works. The only way this really works is if one or two guys on the current roster or one or two prospects take a leap from being they're good to being holy shit they're great like if carter hart develops into a 930 save percentage goaltender and joel Faraby returns into a 40 goal scorer like then it, then it could work then it could work but if that doesn't happen and Ivan Provorov remains like a borderline number 2 number 3 defenseman and Travis Sanheim is a really good number 3 and Carter Hart is a perfectly fine starting goalie but not an amazing one and Joel Farabee is a 25 to 30 goal scorer this isn't going to work it might work the way they're envisioning and that we're going to be more competitive and tougher to play against and we're going to you know compete for a playoff spot and you know maybe people will get excited about that but in terms of building an actual cup contender no That won't work because they're never going to get the players that they need to compete with the Colorados and the Tampas and you know the like the the actual threats. They're not going to get those players, so they're going to be like hoping that they're like the Islanders.
2: I mean, the get lucky team. Yeah. Hockey's dumb as shit. So there is like a 50-50 chance that we're not, stupid not, not and not are good. But there is always a 50-50. possibility.
0: Look, the Flyers could be decent this year. <laughs> I am not ruling out that possibility. There, oh, yeah. like, John Tortorella is a good coach. The Flyers are not devoid of talent. The Flyers could be decent this year. My point is that even if the Flyers are decent this year, that's actually bad. That, that, to me, and like, like, that, that's what kills it for me, is that, like, even yeah. the best-case realistic scenario for the Flyers, in the grand scheme of things, actually isn't a best-case scenario at all.
1: And, like, decent doesn't make the playoffs in the East. Yeah. No. Like, you I need, like, know. three other teams to get in fucking bus accidents to make the playoffs at this point, oh, no. uh, just being decent. <laughs> I'm just, like, that's, uh, that's their path. Like, some sort of horrible disaster. Uh, I... I how could they possibly put this team on the ice and think like they're t- almost two and a half million dollars over the cap. They don't have a single guy that you're like, oh yeah, he's a first line player. I guess Sean Couturier, Couturier, we can we can go Couturier about is and- absolutely
0: a first line player.
1: Sure, if we're gonna say he's healthy, which is definitely gonna be a thing for a Flyers player to come back and, and be just ready to go, uh, after the last three years of what we've seen, that's probably what's gonna happen. He'll be Selkie Couturier all over again. Sure, we can we can live in that fantasy land. All oh, allow us that fantasy because what I, I have we fulfilled the uh, that person's can you be optimistic question yet. Uh,
2: the answer is a solid we don't know. Yes pretty much no. What that means. <laughs> yeah. The answer
1: You're like is what basically. even is what even is optimism for this team? Cuz I just keep thinking they're going to be so aggressively mediocre. Like being optimistic is they're a fucking 60 point team and maybe they get bedored. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe no, I'm overestimating I, I, them.
0: As I said, optimism <laughs> to me optimism for this team is actual optimism for this team is less about for this season, at least it's less about team performance and more about the performance of individual players. Like rather than being like, I'm rooting for this team to win the cup. It should be, I'm rooting for two or three guys to take massive leaps forward to present themselves as like potential core players of a really good team. Like that's what people should be rooting for because that's what they need. Right now, they have Couturier, who is 30, and I love the guy, but he's 30. Like, even if Sean Couturier yeah. comes back, well, he turns 30 in December. He's 29 now. Sorry. I, as, as someone who is in his 30s, I, I apologize for making someone seem older than they are because, yeah, that sucks. So, anyway, Couturier is, is good enough to be a core player on a Stanley Cup contender. Absolutely. But he probably has, like— three, maybe four years more of being that guy. And the question is who else on this team or in this organization can get on his level during the stretch of time he has left while he is still a guy good enough to be a core player on a cup winner.
2: Also like he is absolutely good enough to be a core player on a Stanley cup caliber team, but he's not meant to be, the best player agree yeah Agreed. and he's, he's our bu- best player yes.
1: like travis Konechny, i assume could very well lead this team in like scoring points whatever this year but Couturier is still their best player yeah and, oh, 100% man I-, I i i like Couturier. he's, he's a second line player he's in not Colorado fucking he's not, yeah he's not nathan mckinnon yeah. like he's not he's not anyone on those stanley cup finalists this year he's a third line player on Tampa, like I, I I'm just, uh, how are they two and a half million dollars over the cap?
2: That's like, the best Where part. is this that is money key, going? The best part.
1: Like how, where <laughs> the, God, the fuck is this is money? So good. They, how do they not just look at their spreadsheets and go like, wow, we're really bad at this?
2: There's, I got news for you. Spreadsheets are for fucking nerds, and there's no nerds in that yep. room.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bob Clark, I, I'm, I'm a nerd. I use just spreadsheets. Use spreadsheets all the time. <laughs>
2: I got two spreadsheets open on my uh, computer right now.
1: One I mean, they is... have to have some sort of budget, right? To tell... do, do you think they know they're $2.5 million over the cap? I think nah. the, fl- the Flyers are in a situation
0: now, I, I honestly do believe this, where, like, the closer, the closer you are Ooh. to the situation, the more you can talk yourself into it not being that bad. But if you're at a distance and you look at their situation, like, you're not, like, in the weeds— And you look at it and you just say, like, God, this team is going nowhere. Like if you're if you're in it, it's like you can't quite see it. But if you're a bit like disconnected from it and you're just like scroll like if you're just a random fan of like the St. Louis Blues and you scroll you're scrolling through Cat Friendly because you're bored and you're looking at other teams and you come across the Flyers. Like you're not you don't look at the Flyers and say, well, I mean, you know, Kevin Hayes, Kevin Hayes was looked healthy the the, the second half of the year when he came back and had that surgery. And, you know, you know, Travis Konechny could bounce back to where he was two years ago. And Joel Farabee has potential. You look at it and you say, this is an eighty four million dollar roster.
2: Like, that's what (laughs) you look at. And that's the thing that's that's maddening is that. I wonder how insulated they have made themselves from the rest of the hockey world, because it's at this point, it's not just us and the local media talking about how much of a disaster the Flyers are. Like, it's Friedman and Merrick. It's Dom Loose Chicken. I said it wrong. I don't care. You're close. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's like respected national level big time names are pointing out that the Flyers are a disaster. Is anyone in the organization hearing that? Or have they just like built a little bubble around themselves where they've convinced themselves that what they're doing is good and fuck everyone else? Kelly because they're smarter.
1: What those people fail to understand is this is the year Morgan Frost shows us he's a centerpiece of an organization. This is it. This is the year. It's
2: also (laughs) no one's no one's tried doing a full goon lineup for a long time. Yeah. Maybe it's low-key. Like I the saw way.
1: there's a who did I see available uh, that I'm kind of shocked. I mean, they have no money. Oh, Anton Roussel, he's available. Uh, Jay Beagle. Look, years ago, I used to like Antoine Roussel. He was a legitimately
0: really good, underrated bottom sixer. Then he got hurt, and he's never been the same. But we at need, one time, I thought some, he was good.
2: Do we have enough bottom sixers? I don't know.
0: Good question. Might
2: need it. Might need another two or three. <laughs> well, when when, when you line.
1: have when you have so many that. They're now no longer bottom sixers. No. They they have they, they have flow they have floated into your top six. Yeah, like you Jerry. need to fill you need to fill out that bottom six again. You need to replenish here. You need to get back.
0: Okay. Just... You, you want you want to give me, me give you a little bit of optimism here? Yeah. I yeah provide please. a Please. So I am currently working on our version of the uh, our top twenty Flyers prospects list. The, the goal is to have that out next week. And, oh
2: fucking finally some Charlie content! she, yeah,
0: what, exactly. What am I supposed
1: to write the show about Charlie? Jesus yeah,
0: come Christ! On. And out of the top twelve prospects that we ranked, let's see what's the number. Um, nine of them I project to be with the Phantoms, and one of them I project to be with the Flyers. So, like. The next wave is coming. Now, granted, how good that next wave is, I guess we'll see. But, like, aside from Cutter Gauthier and Emile Andre, everybody in the top 12 is going to be a pro player in the Flyers organization this year. And that's kind of exciting. At the very least, if the Flyers are bad, you can go an hour, 15 minutes up the road and go see some intriguing prospects in Lehigh Valley.
1: You know, there's a guy. He only got a cup of coffee with the Flyers. I think it was like four games last year. But I think this defenseman they have, Ryan Ellis, could really, uh, could really be something for them. Uh, he was him. productive. He had like five points in those four games. So maybe, uh, with another year of seasoning, he could he could really be. No, uh, I do. I, I was just thinking, like. If the optimism is that, and Charlie said, we don't know how good these guys are gonna be, how good did we think Pro Verol and Connecting were gonna be? You know? We we've done this, we've done this one before too. But I will say, you know, I started the show saying I'm just sick of talking about this group of players. I'm all for a next wave. I don't care if they stink. I just want the I want the unknown. I would yeah. much prefer the unknown to be like better. to knowing that, oh yeah, we yeah. have a whole bunch of middle sixers. Like As,
2: uh, yeah. As we Absolutely.
1: Would From take the history the of
2: this show is yeah. that the unknown you can just project anything yeah. onto them. Yeah, Bobby Brink, it's... fifty goal scorer. Who's to Me. say? Yeah, who's to yeah. say? I don't know. Never uh, seen him. Never uh, seen him play in the NHL.
1: I was thinking though because I want to do like you know there's going to be opportunities this year I think for uh group activities maybe but I also I don't want to. I don't want to go to games and like support going to games and uh, be a part of that. I know you are, and that's fine. That's one. I hope you have a great time. I would never deny you that. And maybe if we put something together with the Flyers, I'd be in. Uh, but the Phantoms could be be you would go. Yeah, the Phantoms could be (laughs) a a fun road trip for us. Maybe get like a bus. Actually, yeah, get a little
2: fuck a bus.
1: Yeah, Phantom games are a lot of fun.
2: You should yeah. take a break because we've gone forty minutes talking about absolutely nothing. Oh yeah. yeah, let's
1: let's take a break here and come back on the other side and I don't know, continue bullshitting about whatever. Uh, yeah, here's a here's a commercial for you. Enjoy.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
1: Welcome back, fam. I really hope you uh, you utilize that product and/or service that was just sold to you <laughs> during our little uh, during our little break. There, uh, a Phantom's game would be fun, right? Like yeah. that would be a nice little. Yeah. I mean, they're, we can, they're you, have... we can get we can get you off for a night, Chuck. Yeah, I
0: mean, I could do that. It just, as long as it's a night where there's not a Flyers yeah. game, I'd go, all what right. the hell? But yeah, no, and they, they're, they'll they have some talent. has to happen. They'll have some in- intriguing guys. I mean, like, Zade Wisdom's turning pro. L.A. Zaynoye's turning pro. Samuel Erson's apparently healthy. I don't think Ronnie Addert's gonna make the team, but, like, like make the Flyers, but I think he'll be on the Phantoms, and he's fun. They still got Zamula. Brink will be there eventually when he gets healthy. Forster's turning pro. Like, they're gonna have some interesting players. Now, how good they are, I don't know. But, like. They're gonna have some. Well, intriguing they still got guys. that coach, so. Yeah, that, that that's fair. <laughs> all right, Kelly, so you I believe put on Twitter about what do you want us to talk about? So mm-hmm. what did the masses want us to talk about?
2: Well, first of all <laughs> That face was incredible. <laughs> the the sick people who listen to this show, who I love with my life, um, a good a good number of them wanted us to talk about the Flyers, which is really fucking weird. It's <laughs> the matter of um, people? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, like, what would you do, like, within the rules of the real world? Like, how would you fix this mess? Which is pretty much just, like, trade for me. Like, you have to trade anybody with value for picks and then rebuild from the bottom
0: up. Were there any questions that didn't have to do with how we fix the flyers?
2: Let's see. Could you discuss the Phillies' bullpen and how it might make sense to move <laughs> Rangers Juarez to the pen if Bailey Falter continues pitching well and Wheeler returns to full health?
1: I really
0: don't you know. Ranger... About a Phillies' bullpen. <laughs> yeah.
2: Ranger
1: was a, a bullpen piece before. Uh, I just He might be their third best starter, but
0: yeah, that, uh, he's that's hitting the this innings thing. limit.
1: He's hitting this innings limit, maybe. It's a I way thought... to keep him,
0: I don't know. I thought Ranger was turning the corner in August, but those last couple of starts have been kind of eh, especially after he gets through the... Through the lineup once, so I I can see the logic behind it. But ben, that's exactly but, what I was going to say. But the Wheeler the Wheeler concern is real. I I hope he can come back because they desperately need him.
2: Totally agree, one hundred percent. Yep, with those things that I definitely it's, know. It's all
1: going to come together at the exact right time. The <laughs> Phillies haven't. The Phillies at no point this year had all the pieces at the same time. It's going to happen right before the playoffs. No, oh, I love you. I love
0: this one. I'm optimistic. This isn't, even a th- this isn't even a question or, like, a request. This is just <laughs> amazing, and it makes me laugh. It says, whatever thing makes everyone but Charlie mad at the thing, and Charlie mad at the rest <laughs> of you for getting mad at the thing. Love that.
2: I feel like it would have to be something, like, if Bill and I, like, genuinely hated Jimmy Eat World, and we were like, Ooh. Charlie, Jimmy Eat World sucks, Ooh. and then you would get mad at us.
0: I would definitely get mad at you for that.
2: <laughs> Yes. no one likes Pearl Jam but me so it could be that
0: I don't dislike but Pearl Jam I'm, no I'm just cares. not like a diehard Pearl Jam fan I like some of Pearl Jam songs I just don't know them that well
2: yeah that's fair I
1: only know like even flow good enough Black is really good
2: oh that's that's the song where I pee at a concert Black is my pee song really <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just like that you have
1: fair I like that you have it scheduled
2: though It's an like you eye.
1: know this is this is the time
2: if I have to pee at a Pearl Jam concert, I'm peeing in Durham Black. Okay. That's the one. Okay. I'm sure that was information that everyone wanted to know about.
0: All right. Oh, here's I one from, from Flyperbole. Talk about the first Ooh. CDs you bought.
2: <laughs> I like that, that oh. show. I've heard of it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. Do you, Would you remember recommend.
2: the first CD that you bought?
1: Um, I, remember. I remember getting, I asked my mom for the Green Day CD. Which and one? she got. Oh, I wanted Dookie. Okay. And she went and actually got uh, 1039 smoothed out slappy hours, which oh, years this- later. Wow. Yeah, like their first out. Yeah. See, and I would like years later, like when I'm in middle school, I'm like, this fucking rocks. <laughs> And at the time, I'm like, "This isn't the right one." Like, I can't. What's what store did you go to that had this and not yeah, right. two key? Yeah. It's very. She went to some like
2: independent record I store, like a weird like, section.
1: And like, <laughs> I, like, I still have that first one I bought on my own. Uh, it might have been uh might have been an Iron Maiden album. I'm not sure. Okay. Fun. What do
2: you got,
0: Chuck? I remember vividly. The first CDs I bought after I got into music were, appropriately enough, Jimmy Eat World's. Uh, it was their Bleed American album, but I bought it when it was just Jimmy Eat World's self-titled because they, re- they changed to a self-titled after 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. So they still kept the name of the title track. Like, the first song is still Bleed American, but just the album is not called Bleed American anymore. I got that. And then props if anyone listening to the pod remembers this band. They were a local Philly band called Burning Brides, and they were played on Y100, which was a station I listened to. They had this great single called Arctic Snow, which I still love, still slaps, and I bought their album Fall of the Plastic Empire alongside Jimmy Eat World's self-titled 2001 record.
2: Peak Y100 was such a good time.
0: Loved Y100. I literally. Like,
2: it was so good. I
0: dug up a Y100 bumper sticker in like one of my strong boxes about a year ago. And I immediately put it on my printer. Like I stuck it on my printer because I'm like, Y100, formative. Nice. Like that. If you talk about like formative music experiences, listening to Y100 is my formative music experience. Because it got yes. me into all like, like it, got, it gave me an education of the 90s alternative stuff. It gave me an education into punk rock, Mm -hmm. and then they just started playing, like, emo pop punk when I was starting to listen to Y100, so then I got into that, too. So, like, that was where it all stemmed from. And then when Y100 died, I got enough of an education
1: that I could find music on my own. I remember when Y100 died, showing up to school that day, and there were a couple of kids in, like, my homeroom who hated everything except rap, and they were, like, dancing. There, like, you lost. You lost. It's dead. We're all like, God, "Leave us alone." Yeah. What did we ever do to you? I just sit here with my headphones on and sleep all day. Leave me be. I remember
0: I went to the uh, after it flipped. I went to the protest at the art museum. I made a sign and everything. <laughs> Look at
1: there, you. there was a protest.
0: There was. Yeah. That's,
1: That's wild. outstanding. Standing. Yep. It's cr- oh, man. I really hope that. I forget. I was there.
0: probably in like eighth grade. Eighth grade or freshman year or high school, something like that. It just seemed very important to me at the time.
2: It was. <laughs> extremely important. Uh, Mine was ten, obviously. Okay. I distinctly remember it. It, right. it was so long ago, I'll age myself again. Oh, Charlie. Really...
1: Oh, so. go ahead. No. Kelly was still talking. I thought she was done. Go ahead, go. No,
2: it's okay. It's not important. Continue.
1: I was just gonna troll I was just gonna troll Charlie and say who's the captain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I hate you all.
0: Truly hate Guess
2: you Guess what, all. it's
1: you.
0: Guess what, it's you.
2: Yeah. Ooh. The real That's captain it. was the friends we made along the way.
0: Every, okay, this uh. is an interesting one. Everyone's favorite bad movie, bad in quotation marks, that you can't stop watching. Like an in-depth what about it makes it watchable for you. Could kill a solid 20 minutes with that. I, 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 have, the, I, a couple. I have an immediate answer. Go on. My favorite movie that I know is objectively bad, but I have watched probably 30 times and will watch every time it comes on, is the Gone in 60 Seconds remake with Nicolas Cage.
1: Fucking How, like, is love that, bad? that movie. Is that a bad movie? It I is think not that movie good. Rules. It is not that a good movie. fucking car chase is
0: amazing. When he jumps, when he jumps the bridge, it's incredible. The yeah. car chase is like 30 minutes long. With him with it's the, the, Shelby, the movie, the Shelby GT. Yeah. Yeah. The no, soundtrack
1: like, is so good.
0: Oh, yeah. But no, it's bad. I mean, you if you're looking at it with an objective, critical eye, it is a bad movie. Like, Nicolas Cage is in full on Ham It Up Nicolas Cage.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, full on is, Ham It Up
2: Nicolas Cage. Right, it's not good.
1: <laughs> this is legitimately one of Frankie's favorite movies, so when he hears this, it's going to be hilarious. Uh, I'm really I mean, glad I you it. brought that movie Don't get up. me wrong; yeah.
0: I absolutely love the movie, but I acknowledge it's not a good movie. To me, it's a great movie.
1: His but, my buddy's low, low first rider, car, lowrider, lowrider. My buddy's first car was a Mustang because how? of that movie.
0: What? You, how rich was he? How <laughs> oh, fancy? Fucking how hell, man! I didn't know me. you had rich
1: friends. <laughs> yeah. He just loved that movie so much.
0: <laughs> I mean, did he get, like, the Mustang they dig up at the end of the movie that's, like, all rusted over and destroyed? Like, is that how he afforded it?
1: No, no, it was new.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bill. Uh
1: My favorite bit. Ba- I think this movie is horrible. However, it's, like, won awards and shit. Okay. I think The Departed is, like, legitimately bad. Do you really? Like, it... It has no plot. There's no dialogue. Nobody has a fucking conversation in that movie. People are just straight up trying to be quotable. None of the conversations make any sense. Like they they're trying so hard to be epic, they forgot to be good. It's truly horrible. Uh, but thing. I love watching it and while watching it, like texting my one friend and telling him everything that's wrong with every single scene. I, it's a very, I was saying before the show started how I just need more hobbies because I'm sitting here thinking about this hockey team and getting mad on a fucking Wednesday morning. Uh, (laughs) And like, this is one of my hobbies, pulling apart The Departed, because it's, I think, like objectively bad movie, but for some reason people believe it to be good.
2: I don't know if mine are bad movies either, but I will watch them every time that they're on and they're kind of cheesy. It's Twister, number one. Number two,
0: National Treasure. Oh, National Treasure the first one oh. or the second one. Cage Treasure is, is so good at making bad movies that are unbelievably watchable. Yes. The first no, National Tre- Treasure. The Rock. first National Treasure is brilliant. That's another one I will watch it every tremendous. time it's on. Every yeah. time it's on, I will watch.
2: The only the second th- one stinks, I will also watch that th- one though. The
0: only bad thing I can say about National Treasure, the first one, is that they they did not have the guts to kill Sean Bean. And Sean Bean should die in every movie.
2: <laughs> also, there's a point at which they're running from the bad guys, and they go from Independence Hall directly to the Reading Terminal Market. Oh yes, in like
0: yes. three seconds. And, yes, come and on. then and then they bounce out uh, like near City Hall. It's like yeah, come on, guys, come the, on. you're doing a real roundabout sort of way here. I guess they're yeah. running, so it's possible that we just missed the, fast. but not that fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a. <laughs>
1: It's like the Rocky run. If you ran that route, you'd, like, die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Kelly probably does it every weekend, but...
2: No. <laughs> You're, like,
1: a marathon runner, aren't you? You're always oh, doing yeah. that shit. I don't You're know like... if Twister... You...
0: Going back to Twister. I don't know if Twister is a bad movie. I just... I suspect it hasn't aged well. Because it... it I haven't seen it in <laughs> years. But, number one, it, it strikes me as a very 90s movie. Yes. And then, number two, I suspect that the special effects did not
2: age well. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, at the time, it was, like, groundbreaking special effects. And looking at them now, it's like, all right. You guys did good. That's some of the,
1: like... (laughs) Good work. Good try. I think a lot of the 90s stuff, like, holds up a lot better than the early 2000s stuff. I agree. Jurassic Park looks, I don't know, 140 times better than The Phantom Menace. Like, it's not even close. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Jurassic Park holds up. Jurassic, yeah, Jurassic is the Park's first one absolutely holds up. My niece and that nephew were into it. It's so practical good. Practical
2: effects. I feel like yeah. which is why it holds up, up. better. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just like build the fucking thing. I, I don't want people reacting to like a-, a-, a goddamn tennis ball on a string, and then you put it in and post. <laughs> like a- actually act. Like react to the goddamn shark. That's what makes the movie scary. But uh, whatever. Uh... uh I only like bad movies. That's the thing is, I don't watch like I don't if so. Oh, the, like it's a three and a half hour epic. It's won all these awards. I'm like, I ain't watching that. That's never gonna happen. If I a feel movie like these won, kind of movies
2: don't even get made anymore though, <laughs> unless it's a Tarantino movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, and all Tarantino movies are good. They're all good. Okay, let's see what. Other I questions. hated the Hateful Eight. I really thought
0: that sucked. yeah, that was kind of boring. But then, once upon I, a time in Hollywood it wasn't my was good. Favorite oh, it. Once, yeah, upon once upon a, a time, time was Hollywood awesome.
2: Was real good. Yeah.
0: The The Hateful Eight just struck me as like it's basically a a one like a one act play. Like that's like yes. it's all in the same spot. It could have just been a theater production.
2: It's a it's a dialogue movie. Yeah. It's all dialogue.
0: Yeah. But like so's um, Reservoir Dogs, and that's objectively good. Yeah, true. But that but okay. the difference between Reservoir Dogs and Hateful Eight is that. Reservoir Dogs was intentionally cheaply made because they just didn't have any
2: money. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: Whereas The Hateful Eight is like, no, we're, we're purposely, like, we, we could make this into a blockbuster, but we want it to be, like, everybody in
1: one room kind of thing. Would you consider all the Kevin Smith movies, like, quote-unquote, bad? Because I love them.
2: No. They're masterpieces. I think
1: so, too. I think, Jay, like, did you see Jay and Silent Bob reboot? It's so much better than I expected. I cannot wait I for Clerks 3. I,
2: I am extremely excited about Clerks 3. I had, like, such a low expectations for 2. I was like, God, they're going to fuck this up. This is going to be so bad. And the way that I laughed so hard in the theater watching that movie that I thought I was going to die. It's. Yeah.
1: I, saw, I saw Clerks 2 in theaters three
2: times. I love that for you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge Kevin Smith guy,
0: but Clerks 2 was funny. Um, Dogma's funny. Um, Jay and Silent Bob is, is good. Do Didn't we like have more questions? Amy. Never seen that.
2: Didn't like it. That's
0: Never seen that. All right, let's see what um, favorite sporting event you've ever attended. Mm. So best game you, you saw in person or I guess for bill I mean it's sporting event so if you want to pick a wrestling thing then sure.
1: Hmm. Uh when the Phillies won the East in 07 last day of the season was awesome. Like mm. just such a build up. Was like, that was that was the game early. where the the Mets were down like 8 nothing by the end of the first inning? Yeah. yeah. Getting there early and people were like watching the out of town scoreboard and it was like the Marlins are killing the Mets all the Phillies have to do today is win like it was awesome people like cheering the change in the scoreboard and then the game starts and like everything unfolds uh, jimmy rollins gets his 20th triple to seal up the uh seal up the mvp that was great uh maybe that one or the joe blanton home run game in the world series because it was just like this this they killed them it was like they're winning the fucking world series they don't even need to play game five Oh, well, they did need to play Game Five twice. Yeah, twice, <laughs> because it's Philadelphia.
0: Uh, mine definitely is the uh, the shame, victory, O Grand Slam game off CC Sabathia. That's up there. Yeah, that that was the loudest I've ever heard that ballpark. It was incredible.
2: I only hockey, so mine is it had to be a game during the 2010 run because that was like the peak of my Flyers fandom. Okay. And the, the Dan Carcillo overtime winner game sticks out for me, just because I really liked him. I was hoping that was you'd like say... was, such an, a ridiculous thing to happen, for yeah, Dan I was... Carcillo to win a game in overtime. Yeah, I was, I was at that
1: game, too. That was amazing.
2: It was very fun.
1: I was hoping you'd say the Dan Carcillo fight at the Winter Classic.
2: That was also good. You know what's wild is that none of the Winter Classics, like, the games were never good. Like, the experience was cool, but, like, the games were never good. Well, the
1: Boston one went to overtime, but it was, yeah. eh, It was boring outside of the fight. Uh, oh, that wasn't a winter classic. The 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 game at the Link that Giroux yeah. won in overtime.
2: That wasn't that a... Yeah, was that was yeah. a
1: stadium series. series. Yeah.
2: I didn't get to go to that one either, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do we have uh, anything else?
0: Uh, I don't know. Is there, are there any other questions we want to take on? Let me go through, see if there's one more that we can close it out with.
2: Who is the captain?
1: We already asked that, and <laughs> I already got angry. Now we're,
0: yeah, I don't, I prefer not to get angry again.
1: What what are we going to do when they name a captain? Do we continue to hang? Yeah. What happens when they trade him at the deadline?
0: All right, well, here, here's one. We can close it out with a music one. What, what's a band you've Ooh. always wanted to see in concert, not just a show you can feasibly see now, but any time in history? Because I, 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 I have a very obvious answer for this. That's
2: a good question. It's a
0: really good question.
2: What's your answer, Charlie?
0: My answer is Queen, without a doubt.
2: Ooh, that's a good one. They fucked live. Yeah,
0: I mean, Freddie Mercury, like in his fucking prime, are you kidding me? Like, that would have ruled.
2: I might go, like, The Who in their prime.
0: They were also really fucking good in their prime,
1: too, yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yeah, The Who, that's what it is. Maybe The Clash would be awesome. Ooh. Ooh be cool. I, the Clash I in, like, really... a
0: small venue? Would, yeah. That, that would fuck.
1: It's, my father-in-law saw them at, like, U Penn. So, like like something ridiculous and I was like that's that's, so cool. that's fucking that's insane uh trying to yeah that's a good one that's I had tickets to the Rolling Stones and couldn't go so I just really like need to see that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're like in reality like there's so many like I'm never gonna get to see the Beatles or like the Clash or anything like the Rolling Stones while you know a million do still exist <laughs> So like I do want to like knock all those them. out yeah next tour that's a good one going. yeah
2: i've been pretty lucky in that most of like the contemporary bands that i've wanted to see live i've seen live i've been to many concerts not charlie level many but many concerts
0: yeah i've been lucky that going to ezra pretty... a couple weeks charlie <laughs> i am not i am not going to ezra but enjoy it have fun um i uh I'm lucky in that a lot of the bands that I got into after they broke up that I really really liked have since reunited and I've been able to see yeah. them like it's not the same like it it would it would be a totally different vibe seeing like at the drive in when they were at their peak versus now, but at least I got to see them still good yeah, like still still a great live band, just not like yeah. hanging from the rafters in a basement good
1: That's all right, good I question. think. I think we have uh, fulfilled our contractual obligation for I would the say week so. yeah I promise,
2: the all, nose, I, I promise you all.
1: I promise you all we will have obviously more content once there's something to talk about but this team refuses to do things uh, that are the least bit interesting but we do have
2: what we got two weeks
1: well prospects report uh, prospects report in a week September 14th so so next not this
0: weekend but next weekend. Is um, the rookie games? So they're playing yeah. two rookie games, one on Friday night, one on Saturday night in Allentown against the Rangers rookies.
1: Ooh, that
0: sounds fun! So I will be attending both those games.
1: Nice. And veterans must report uh, NHL camp September 21st, taking the ice for the first time with John Tortorella September 22nd. So it's coming. It's uh, it's it's been a fun. It's it's. It's been a fun summer, not thinking about them much, except for, you know, once a week to do the show. Uh, but they will be back soon, and we will have all new things to talk about each week. I'll, so I promise, days. I promise we'll get you there. Of course, checking out the competition, and the uh, uh, post games are coming back, flyperbole sticking around, all the shit you love. So if you haven't already, you got to hit that subscribe button, just search Broad Street Hockey, wherever they're podcast, and boom, that content It's a coming. It's soon. Alright, that's all the time we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Bill Matz. For Steph, for Kelly, for Charlie. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about